Hello and welcome to the Tax and Money Tavern podcast. Thank you so much for joining. On this episode, we'll only discuss one little thing called the carried interest. I hope you enjoy. Carried interest is a tax loophole for the rich, is what you've probably heard a lot. But do you know why it's considered a loophole and how it's beneficial for the wealthy? To continue our discussion from episode 2, the previous episode, Carried interest is also known as the performance fee, and I mentioned that the fee is taxed at long-term capital gains rates, which are lower. The maximum capital gains rate is 20% as opposed to the maximum marginal tax rate for an individual of 37%. These performance fees are prevalent in private equity firms, which I will refer to as PE firms. And they're usually set at around 20% of gross profits from investments that the given PE firm made during the year. Essentially, carried interest is the share of profits from a PE fund to the fund's general partners. Now, before I get into more detail on carried interest, I'd like to give you a bit of context on how partnerships are taxed in the US, for those of you who may not know. Private equity firms are oftentimes taxed as partnerships. Partnerships are not directly taxed. They don't pay income taxes at the partnership level. Instead, they are passed through entities, and the income that partnerships make flows through to individuals or other owners, which can be really anything from other partnerships, LLCs, corporations, trusts. But let's focus on individual owners or partners, since the preferential tax treatment of capital gains applies mostly to individuals. If the owner is an individual, let's say, to make things easier, then this individual pays tax on the income that passes through to them from the partnership. It doesn't matter if the individual withdraws money from the partnership or not, as long as there is income allocated to the partner, the partner has to pay tax on it. We call that allocation because it usually is allocated based on the share of profits and losses that the partner holds in that partnership. And the way that partners know how much income is allocated to them is because their partnership issues a schedule or form K-1 to each individual partner, and that schedule has all the relevant information, including how much income has been allocated to them as a partner. Uh, Withdrawal of cash from the partnership is a different thing and affects a different aspect of the partnership interest, which is not what we're talking about here today. As you may recall from the previous episode, private equity firms buy companies, restructure them in some way, cut costs, make them profitable, and then sell them at a good margin. The gain from the sale is then allocated to partners of the private equity firm. Usually, the general partner who holds the carried interest would receive 20% and all other limited partners or investors get the rest 80% based on their profit and loss percentages or P&L percentages. Now, how is this income allocation taxed? Before the enactment of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, or TCJA, of 2017, the capital gain treatment was available to carried interests held for over one year, which is the usual holding period for other capital assets to receive the same tax preferential treatment. However, TCJA introduced a section 1061 titled Partnership Interests Held in Connection with Performance of Services, and it slightly curtailed the preference for the carried interest by requiring the holding period 
to be at least three years rather than one uh, in order to treat the allocated income as long term. However, a common criticism that you hear is that most investments or businesses that are held by private equity firms are held for at least five years anyways. So meeting the three-year threshold isn't really a problem. Please note though, because a lot of people confuse this, the management fee that the general partners also get, and it's usually at 2% of the assets of the that the fund manages, that one is taxed at regular rates, not capital gains. Only the sale of investments or businesses that the private equity firms hold is subject to the favorable capital gains rates. However, what general partners sometimes tend to do to avoid the higher tax, they waive the 2% management fee in favor of greater performance fees. Maybe they set it at 25% or even 30%, which effectively recharacterizes their income as long-term capital gain. Now, there are a lot of arguments for and against this preferential tax treatment of carried interest by general partners. Let's list some of the arguments defending this. First, well, there is a reason behind which capital interest even came into place. Let's say you're a business person who undertook a poorly performing business, a business that was in losses and required a lot of investment to become profitable. So as a business person, you see exactly what needs to be done. You know, the business needs to hire more people to become more efficient. You need to make improvements to real property, buy new equipment, train employees better, spend money on advertisement, etc. You believe that once you do all of that, the business will be fine, it will become profitable, and once it does, you can sell it at a crazy margin. However, there is also a chance that this doesn't work out. There is a chance that the business fails regardless of your efforts, just because it's already not doing great. There is a lot of risk when it comes to the economy, and you don't know if you can sell the business so well after all. Nonetheless, you take your chances. You buy the business for cheap, you invest all your money into it, you work hard to make it successful and profitable, and after years and years of hard work and taking risks and investing, you're able to sell it super well. You get a crazy profit margin from selling the now successful business to someone else. So, in this situation, the gain on sale would be considered long-term capital gain or a return on your investment. Same thing happens if you buy a wear-down property and revamp it to sell later at a profit. This would also be considered capital gain. You invest money, you undertake risks. If it works out and you sell it at a gain, this gain is return on investment. It's not ordinary business income. It's not salary. It's not guaranteed income. It's not interest or dividends. You hope to recoup the investment you had made and earn a bit or a lot, more as an extra bonus for your efforts, for the time and for the risk-taking. We all seem to agree with this, right? This doesn't seem to spark any debates. So the next question is, how are private equity firms different? They do the exact same thing, except on a very large scale. How is an individual going to buy a business in the first place if you have too little cash? Are you going to borrow? What bank would lend you to buy some underperforming business with the down payment you can afford without striking you with an enormous interest rate. 
It's possible, but highly unlikely. So the general partner, which is the business person in our case, goes out and asks for money from accredited investors. Accredited investors, as I noted in the previous episode, understand the risks too, but they are willing to give money to you to do whatever you need to turn that poor business into a success story and sell it in a few years. General partners also contribute around 1-3% to of the fund's capital themselves. And by the way, yes, private equity firms do borrow and have debts. Not everything is investor money. So how is whatever the general partner or partners do is not a return on investment? Reclassifying the gain on sale of those businesses as all investment income sounds a bit strange once you dig into the nature of the private equity firm's activities. And a little disclaimer, uh, whatever I've just described is a very simplistic and uh, very short view of how private equity firms work and operate. I'm doing this just because I think this is the simplest and shortest way to explain. And also, it, it really showcases the gist of private equity firms uh, for the purposes of exploring how carried interests are being taxed. Well, another point is, since we're talking about how wealthy individuals as general partners benefit from long-term capital gain treatment, the fact that general partners don't enjoy the limited liability that limited partners, hence the names, sounds important. The investors who give money to general partners can only lose that investment at most. They can't lose any other assets that they have, but the general partner, who is the only type of partner who can get carried interest, they can lose everything. They undertake the risks that no employee or investor has, so treating the carried interest as long-term capital and taxing it at lower rate works as a good motivator. Otherwise, it becomes a lot less appealing to become a general partner in the first place. It's like recognizing the importance of risk-taking that not many are willing to take. This, along with the fact that general partners also invest money into the funds, makes it that general partners have a skin in the game and taxing them in the same exact way as if they had received salary may not be appropriate. Now listen to the end of this episode because there is a very good counter-argument to this statement. The next point that comes to my mind uh, that uh, defenders of the preferential tax treatment of carried interest claim is that a lot of private equity firms' investors are institutional investors, which includes pension funds. Increasing the rate, the tax rate of carried interest may potentially harm the returns for those pension funds. In addition, private equity funds are a source of a lot of jobs. According to AmericanInvestmentCouncil.org, and I will put a link to this article in the description of the episode, in 2022, private equity firms employed around 12 million people and generated approximately 6.5% of U.S. GDP, which translated to around 1.7 trillion U.S. dollars. Imposing a higher tax rate on carried interest may harm the obviously important part of the U.S. economy. I'm probably blinking on quite a few more points defending the current treatment of carried interest, but not to bore you to death, let's explore some of the arguments against the favorable tax treatment, which includes some of the 
counter-arguments to the claims and statements I've just said. So the first one is, according to a CNBC article, which I will also put in the description, it cites a 2021 survey done by Hydric and Struggles, I think. Uh, general partners' total compensation is approximately made up of 84% carried interest. There is an obvious reason for this. So general partners are abusing the so-called tax loophole. Another argument from the proponents of removing the special tax treatment says that the change wouldn't affect economic growth and incentive to invest too much and would compensate in higher tax revenues. According to an Investopedia article, which I will also put in the description, an approximate of $14 billion would have been generated between 2019 and 2028 had carried interest been taxed at ordinary rates. The article claims that a nonpartisan joint committee on taxation calculated this, but I didn't look further to see how they did it. So this next one is interesting because it counter-argues with the entire claims of risk and rewards and unlimited liability and stuff like that. You see, general partners hate taking the unlimited risk. So they try to protect themselves as much as they can. They do it in two main ways. I'll briefly describe them, but I will leave a very interesting article by American Bankruptcy Institute for you to read more on that if you like. First, when a private equity firm buys distressed businesses, uh, they actually don't usually pay a full price for their investments. They make a down payment of around 30 to 40 percent and then obtain a bank loan by securing the loan with the assets of the business itself. So effectively, private equity firms buy a business with only around 40% of the purchase price and let that business finance the rest of the purchase price. It's like the business buys itself, kind of. It's kind of weird. So if the business fails completely, the loan is repaid or at least partially repaid by the assets of the purchased business. Second, uh, that's a different way of uh, combating unlimited liability. So neither general partner nor the private equity firm, none of them themselves directly buy distressed businesses, at least not always. Oftentimes a corporation or an LLC is created an entire brand new entity or like an entity already exists. And that entity always enjoys limited liability. This newly formed entity 100% belongs to the private equity firm, but it's not the private equity firm that actually buys the distressed business. It's the newly created LLC or corp that does it. It buys the distressed business and it holds it. So if the business fails completely, there is a layer of limited liability that the LLC or corp enjoys first before it goes into onto the private equity firm and ultimately the general partner. So this effectively allows general partners to take control of the distressed business that they purchase and also enjoy a level of limited liability. In fact, this is so common that Senator Elizabeth Warren and others introduced the Stop Wall Street Looting Act in 2021 that deals specifically with this issue. 
Obviously, along a ton of other private equity issues, including the tax treatment of carried interest. I haven't read the bill myself, not sure what happened with it, except that it obviously hasn't been put into law as of today. The article I mentioned will have access to the bill itself if you click on the link, so feel free to enjoy the read of 103 pages in your free time and let me know what else is in there. Okay, so before this episode gets any longer, I'm sure I've forgotten a ton of points. Please comment what I've missed. I know I missed a lot. You can even message me directly on LinkedIn or check out my YouTube channel and yell at me there. Except, please don't yell. Be polite. Lastly, and if you're still here, thank you so much. I applaud you. Lastly, as you all know, there have been a lot of proposals to revamp the treatment of carried interest over the years, even that bill I've just mentioned. However, in many cases, the proposals for reform spin around the holding period, maybe increase it from three years to five years. Again, the opposition says it won't do much because private equity firms hold their investments for at least five years normally, and oftentimes a lot longer than that. So this change would probably not do much, similar to TCJA, I guess. Other cries, and under other cries, I mean the Inflation Reduction Act and Build Back Better. Spoiler alert, these sections regarding carried interest from these acts didn't go into effect. Um, So this other cries suggested changing the characterization of carried interest from long-term capital gain to all as investment income. This, however, seems a bit too extreme for the reasons I've already discussed. At least investment income is not subject to self-employment tax, but it is subject potentially to net investment income tax that Obama imposed for certain individuals making more than a threshold amount. This threshold amount differs, but uh, depending on your filing status, um, so I'm not going to get into this, but this uh, extra tax is 3.9% over the excess investment income. It is still less than the crazy 15.3% of self-employment tax. Uh, However, there is a new legislation that was introduced in November this year, 2023, by U.S. Senate Finance Committee Chairman Uh, Ron Wyden from Oregon, along with uh, Senators Sheldon Whitehouse from Rhode Island and Angus King from Maine. The prospect of this legislation is uncertain, so I haven't looked into it closely, but from the brief introduction to it, this is kind of a very aggressive way to treat carried interest. Basically, this bill suggests to re-characterize carried interest as deemed compensation, in which case not only will it be taxed at ordinary tax rates, but also it will be subject to self-employment tax. According to taxnotes.com, which I will also link in the description, the Joint Committee on Taxation estimates that this bill would raise $63.1 billion over 10 years. So, what do you all think about carried interest? Is the tax treatment fair in your opinion? Do you now want to become a general partner in a private equity firm? Let me know your thoughts and with that, let me leave you and hopefully not for too long.